So we read in Acts chapter 19. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for about two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken back to the sick and their illnesses were were cured and evil spirits left them. Some Jews who were around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Man, this is one of those mornings you're like, do we even need to have somebody come up and talk to us? Like, can we just keep worshiping and honoring our kids? But here I am, um, and I am so excited. We are concluding our series that we've been doing all summer called The Faith Worth Sharing. It's been about uh, mission and uh, the, the, the mission of God that we are invited to participate with. And uh, we have to end the mission series. It's, it's written in our code of conduct. It's not. Uh, with a series concluding sermon on revival. Let's go. Some of you are so excited. Some of you are all over the place. Um, I don't know if you remember your like, first Christian experience that you ever had, like, uh, like a camp or like a Bible study or like uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible when you were age three for some of you. 
Um, not for me. My, my first ever Christian experience was at a, at a fellowship of Christian athletes retreats, and I think they called it an advance because we were just trying to be like ready to go. It's like we don't retreat here in the sport world. We advance. We keep it rolling. So I, I remember going to this thing, and I remember there was a it was just, it was, a, it was disorienting for me. I was kind of like, this just seems weird. I like the games, but the rest of it is weird. But the weirdest thing to me, to be honest, if I can be really honest, just to start my sermon, um, somebody started a prayer time by saying, Lord, we just want revival on our campus. And I remember being like, what in the world is this guy talking about? You know, you ever like bump your friend during a prayer time and be like, yo, what is that? N- none of you? Just some spiritual Christians in the house. They've never opened their eyes when they're praying. Well, I remember hearing the word revival and being like totally like, I don't know what that is. I'm just trying to like uh, play a game after this, right? So anyways, I only say that to say when we hear revival, there are all kinds of like different spectrums. There's thoughts on what revival is, on what revival's not. There's an anticipation around it. Some of you have literally, like, and I mean it, like you've been faithfully praying for revival to come for years. Some of you, you're like, dude, I don't revival cam. Like, could you be more tone deaf? Like, I am just trying to make it here today. Like, it rained on me this morning on the way in. I didn't bring a rain jacket. Like, I, my kids are all over the place. Some of you, when I said, uh, have you ever had your first Christian experience? You're like, this is it, and I'm here. And this guy's talking about revival, you know? So, so we are all over the place when it comes here. And I only say that to say, wherever you are, like, bring that right here right now. That is exactly where God wants to meet you. He can't meet you in any other way. So whether you're excited and pumped about revival and you're like, finally, the revival sermon, we should always preach on revival. Or if this is the first time you've ever heard about revival, he wants to speak to you today. He wants to minister to us. We have more than just information and thoughts this morning, but we have the actual presence of God. So I'm going to get into this passage, but let's pray first, and then we will get into it. Um, Holy Spirit, we just continue to welcome your presence to be with us this morning. As much as we need um, great teaching and information, and we need our minds to be shaped and formed, we, we have this deeper need to really know you. We need to hear your voice this morning. So we invite you, breath of God, to breathe on this story that was written thousands of years ago that seems totally irrelevant to my current day and reality, and we ask that you would breathe on it, that you would move in our own hearts this morning, that you would speak to us. So we invite your Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. That's how the story ends, but, but, but let's look at how this, this story of revival actually starts, and it starts here, right? It says, well, Apollos was at Corinth. Paul, he's taking this road through Ephesus, and he runs across a couple of disciples, and something is happening in this interaction where he, for some reason, asks them this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And these guys are like, yo, I don't even know who the Holy, what the Holy Spirit is. What are you talking about? And then Paul, he, he continues on. He says, uh, well, what baptism did you receive? And they said, well, we received John's baptism. And Paul continues, and he says, that was a baptism of repentance. But there's another one called the baptism of Jesus. And it says, on hearing this, they're baptized in the name of Jesus. And then Paul lays hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. Everything in this story starts here with a couple of disciples around Paul, him saying, You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus, and you need to receive the Holy Spirit. 
And so I don't know if you know this, but there's like a, there's like a theological debate on this passage, okay? There are, there are kind of two camps. There, there's one that is like the more like word-centered camp. We did a whole sermon series on the Holy Spirit. So there's word churches, there's spirit churches. We want to be both in Jesus' name, okay? But in some word churches, you know, they're going to be like, this is just another evidence that you receive the Holy Spirit only when you believe. So these guys are definitely not believers. It's, the whole question is like, are these guys real Christians or not? And they're like, no, definitely not, because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And then there's a, the, the more spirit kind of churches, the Pentecostal beliefs would say, well, this, this is actually great evidence that, there's, that you get the Holy Spirit when you believe, but then there's another filling of the Holy Spirit after you believe called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there's this big debate. There's this, there's this controversy that goes on. And while both have great points and opinions, I think that that is actually the point that we're missing, <laughs> is when we try to boil the Holy Spirit down into a theological principle or a concept more than he is a person to receive. See, because the New Testament in Jesus, when he talks about the Holy Spirit, it isn't something that we, uh, we're trying to just like memorize or repeat, or it's like just some kind of another affirmation of your identity, you know, like I'm loved, I'm accepted, I have the Holy Spirit, like it's just kind of some other thing that I'm trying to get into my heart, but rather it's something that we are to be immersed in. We are meant to be overwhelmed with in a way that actually transforms us. Jesus, when he talks about the Holy Spirit, when he teaches to his disciples, he says, for John baptized with water, but in the upper room, he says, but a few days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what we see, right? We see the disciples, they've seen the resurrected Jesus, and he's telling them, wait here. They're in this upper room waiting on God, which a lot can happen when we just wait on God, by the way. They're just waiting on him. And then this happens. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like a blowing and violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. See, the Spirit, it comes like a mighty rushing wind. Sometimes it comes like a gentle breeze, you know, but sometimes he comes like that I-70 wind, you know, when you're driving through Kansas and it's gusting around your minivan side to side. Sometimes he can come in that way too, and that's what happens here in Acts chapter 2. And then something happens to this guy named Peter. You know Peter? Peter's the one who's always kind of like, his mouth is like three steps ahead of his, his like actual life. You know, he's saying things that he's not all the way living into. And he's telling Jesus, in one moment, I'm never going to deny you. I, I, I am courageous, Jesus. I am faithful. I will never do that. And then the next moment, this same guy, he's around a fire with a handful of people. And a 12-year-old girl looks at him in the eyes and says, aren't you the one with Jesus? He's like, no, not me. Definitely not me. And this same Peter, he stands up after receiving the Holy Spirit, and he says, and he preaches the gospel. He preaches that there is freedom. We just read that verse, that there is freedom found in Jesus, that that we need to repent, put our trust in Jesus, be baptized, and then receive the Holy Spirit. And then he actually preaches on the Holy Spirit. He says, these are the days that the Father has promised, that I will pour my Spirit out on all people. Your sons and daughters will, will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. He, 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 not only preaches the gospel, then he preaches the Spirit. But this fearful guy, Peter, experiences the Holy Spirit and something happens to him. He stands up with courage and faith and preaches to people that he was denying Jesus to just a couple of moments ago. And now for us to understand this, like we, here's what we have to understand. Okay? We have to understand an old uh, pickling recipe. Okay? You didn't know I was going there this morning. You're thinking, Cam's coming to come with a sports illustration, but I have a new one this morning, 
and it's about pickles, okay? Pickling and cucumbers. Y'all know about pickling? We got any picklers in the house? You know how, you know how, you know, pickles were once cucumbers. Did you know that? They were. They were. I'm going to educate you this morning, all right? But in, in, in the Greek, there, there's two words for the word baptized, okay? There is the word bapto, and then there is the word baptizo, all right? Are you tracking with me? Bapto and baptizo. And in this ancient pickling recipe, you start with a cucumber, and this cucumber is dipped into boiling water. That is the word bapto. It, 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 just, it is baptoed into the boiling water. It goes into the boiling water, and it comes right back out. It doesn't stay in there very long. It's just a quick little dip. And then that cucumber, after it is dipped in the boiling water, it's put into vinegar and other things, I think. That's all I got. All right. That's, are, you, are we good? Okay. Some of you were like, man, there's more, Cam. There's more than just that. All right. I saw the look of some of the, the people in the house. All right. All right. It's vinegar, okay, and other things. All right, but you put it in the, in the water. Are we, are we tracking? That's bapto. And then you let it sit in the vinegar. That is the word baptizo, to be overwhelmed with the solution in which you're sitting in. And what happens is it starts as a cucumber. It's baptoed in one thing, then it goes into another, and it's baptizoed into it, and it comes out, and it is something entirely different. That is the language and the imagery that we are getting when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. That you go in a cucumber, but then you are overwhelmed. You know where I'm going. I'm about to, I'm about to call you some pickles. All right, here we go. You're, I saw the anticipation. They're like, all right. You come in a cucumber, and you're dipped in the water, and then you're immersed into the Spirit of God. And you are so overwhelmed by a presence that is outside of you, a power that you have not known anything about, and you come out a pickle. Come on! That'll preach! Some pickles up in here. I mean, and it's a great illustration. But the reality is there, right? You look at Peter, you look at these disciples, they they were cucumbers, right? They had no flavor. <laughs> actually, I had a real cucumber, like out of a fresh garden, not one I bought, and they're actually good. You know, you don't even need salt on those things. You ever had a... Uh... All right. Anyways, all right. Enough about the cucumbers. These disciples, though, they are one thing. They are afraid. They're timid. Literally all of them abandoned Jesus. And something dramatically and fundamentally transforms them, and it is the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't just leave them with these, like, words and say, hey, preach this, preach this gospel. Preach what I said. Reproduce what I did. But then he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It is the promise of Jesus that we don't have to stay how we are, but that we have power to become something entirely different. That's the vision of the New Testament, that we are to be immersed, baptized, transformed by the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting, Paul's response to these guys, right? There's something about them. He's like, you guys just look the same. You look like cucumbers. Did you receive the Spirit when you believed? Like there's something about them that he's not saying, let me teach you something. But he says, you have no power in your life. There's something that you're not experiencing. And then what he does is really interesting, right? He doesn't pull them aside and say, let me teach you a better way. Let's teach you about the Holy Spirit. See, the Spirit of God had hovered over creation in the beginning, and then it filled the tabernacle and the temple, and now you are the new living temple. Like he didn't teach some theologically robust thing on the Holy Spirit, but what does he do? He lays hands on them and he prays that the Holy Spirit would fill them. And everything in this entire story flows from there. They are a people without power. And then all of a sudden, revival comes. The 
The, the word of the Lord is spread widely and grows in power. Where does it start? The people of God being filled with the Spirit of God. And we've experienced some of that even in our own church, right? We did a 15-week sermon series on the Holy Spirit, which was awesome. Let me just say that, okay? It was great. Jeremy's sermons were awesome, okay? They were so good. And we had, I, mean, I felt like we were having so many conversations. People were like, man, I have never experienced life like this. I knew God one way, but it was like my eyes were opened, that I've been missing something entirely. That some of you, that like resonates with you. You're like, I remember that. I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And you did, but you didn't really know. Because he has so much more for us than we can anticipate. It's why even in our gatherings here, like we, we want to be a place where, where, where we are responding to the Spirit. I mean, teaching is great. I obviously believe that what I'm doing right now really matters. I really do. But it's not enough, you know? Aren't you ever tired of just like learning and then not changing? <laughs> Aren't you ever tired of people being like, man, have you read that book? You're like, yeah, I did read that book and I'm still the same. Are you tired of like content and information? Like we have so much and it's great. We need it. Like our minds are what drive our lives. Like we need our minds to be formed, but it's not enough. Just sermons are not enough. This is not a place just to come and like take our notes and then leave and like try to remember one thing. Like that's not what we're doing here. We're here to encounter the living God. Like he's here. He's a living presence alive with us. He's, he's, he's with us. So it's why we have people in the back ready to pray every single week. It's why we start with prayer in the morning. It's why we do prayer all throughout the week because we're not just trying to like learn a bunch of stuff about God. But we're here that our minds might be formed and then that we might actually encounter the Holy Spirit. And I just wonder, has, have you ever had that? Like, have you ever had anybody just actually lay their hands on you and say, God, would you fill them with your spirit? It's amazing how many, how many like our natural response when somebody comes to us with a struggle, something that's going on, like, I'll be honest, in me too, the natural thing for me to say to somebody is like, oh man, I listened to this podcast and it was so helpful. You should listen to it. We, we forward the link or whatever. Like, you should read this book. You should listen to one of Jeremy's sermons. It's so good. It'll, it'll change everything, you know? Rather than saying, no, what we need right now is the Spirit of God to come with power. Information is incredible. We need it, but it's not enough. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the living God. And so in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. It's a story that starts with God's people being pickled in the Spirit. But then there's this scene change, right? There's this middle part of the story. Paul, he, 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 these guys experience something, and then it just says that Paul starts to preach the kingdom of God and the gospel. For three months, he goes into the synagogues, and he's preaching, he's just laboring, they're doing normal stuff, and then they kind of reject him, they're kind of like, no, we don't, we don't want any of this. So he just moves outside, he moves to this lecture hall, and he's preaching to outsiders and believers, and there's this kind of really cool thing that happens for two years. <laughs> so there's this like big breakthrough moment, and then just two years of Paul standing up there, teaching, being faithful, doing normal things. Which is funny, like the book of Acts is like filled with this, by the way. Like it's just like, bang, crazy story, healing, deliverance. And then they're like, and then Paul stayed there for five years, you know? Which is like a great picture for the Christian life, you know? It's like full of these incredible moments, but most of it is just normal, everyday walking with Jesus. There's this phrase I've been thinking about. I've been trying to change it all week, but I can't think of a better phrase. 
that we're supposed to have in our hearts, and it's this expectant fidelity with Jesus. See, and, and it actually highlights that there's kind of two pitfalls for us to fall into. One of us is like the, the over-expectant, like we just chase the mountaintop experiences. Like, give me, I go one experience to the next experience, and then in between, I'm just like, oh God, where's the next mountain? You know, we just chase this feeling and the next feeling and the next feeling, and I just need my new breakthrough, you know? But, but following Jesus, even those breakthrough moments are almost always so that we can experience the beauty of the ordinary life with Jesus. It breaks us free from something that's holding us back so that we can experience day in and day out with Jesus. The months, the weeks, the years of faithful fidelity and devotion to Jesus. It's kind of like trying to reproduce your wedding day like every time, you know, which is just exhausting. Could you imagine being married every day? That'd be awesome and just totally exhausting, you know? And it misses on the beauty of the day in, day out incredible life of marriage with your spouse. And the same thing with Jesus, the invitation to abide with him, to remain in him. And so we can chase experiences, but the experiences are only so that we can experience the day in, day out life with Jesus. So there's one pitfall. And but the other one, which may be more prevalent in this room, is that we have zero expectation for Jesus to do anything more than we've ever experienced in our life that we've like formulated our spiritual life into these like nice tidy boxes and it looks kind of more like a self-improvement plan than a wild adventure with the Spirit of God. And it's just to open our eyes to say, He can do way more than you ever expected. He has new things for you that you have not experienced or expected. And that our own expectations of what God can do or might do or wants to do has a really limiting power on what He can do in us. And that makes some of us uncomfortable. But when you look at Mark chapter 5, there's this story of Jesus. And Jesus is kind of starting to get a following. His, his ministry is starting to kind of take off a little bit. And then he goes back to his hometown. There's been stories of his healing. There's been stories of him casting out demons, preaching the kingdom of God. Disciples are starting to follow him. But then he goes back to his hometown. And something really bizarre happens. It says that he preaches. He starts to talk. And he can feel, he can feel the murmurs in the crowd. You know, they're like, yo, I know, I know this Jesus. This is the carpenter's son, right? I mean, can you imagine for 30 years he was there and then all of a sudden he's like, the son of God, here I am, you know? Gotcha, surprise. I, mean, I don't try to be too judgmental of these people, but they're in the crowd. They have, no, they have no faith. They have no expectation for Jesus because they've boiled him down into a little boy Jesus. They're like, that's not, come on, bro. What are, you, are you serious? And there's this haunting verse in that passage. It says that, and then Jesus could do no great work there. He could do no great work there because of the expectation, the lack of faith in the people. Because they had boiled him down. They had certain boxes. They're like, I, I pretty much get Jesus. I get how he works. That's real, that's real for some of us. We're like, I pretty much know what the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years is going to look like. More of what it looks like today, you know? And that's fine in a lot of ways. But if we have a limited expectation on Jesus... It'll limit the, the power of the Spirit alive within us. Expectant fidelity. Starts with a breakthrough of the Holy Spirit, then expectant fidelity. Years of Paul laboring, normal, ordinary life. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And then this happens, right? 
says Paul, he's been doing these extraordinary miracles, not, not like the ordinary ones, you know, as if those weren't enough. Like, he's just like, not only is he like, not, he's like healing people, he's delivering people, but bro just drops his handkerchief. Someone picked it up like, oh, I'm healed, you know? Crazy. Extraordinary miracles, creative miracles, new ones. And then it says this, verse 13, there, there, there's something about the power that has become attractive to some people in the community. It says, some Jews went out driving out evil spirits to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. Right? They would say, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches about, be gone. And then we see that these, these, these seven guys who are starting to do this, one day the evil spirit answered to them, says, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but I don't know who you are. And it says that they gave them such a beating that they run out of the house. You know? I mean, that's kind of a crazy story. I mean, to be, I've never been in a fight, a physical fight. What's a physical fight? And like, I've been in emotional fights, <laughs> in relational fights, for physical. I've never been in a fight. But when you leave the house, when you run out of the house, and you ain't got no clothes on, you lost the fight, okay? You lost <laughs> the fight bad. And there's plenty to be pulled out of this story, okay? Like, we could talk about how, how Jesus' name is not just some magical potion or thing that we can throw on people to cause things to go out, or we, we can talk about how our power to push darkness out isn't based on other people's relationship to Jesus, but, but my own spiritual authority. We could talk about some of those things, you know, but, but I want to draw on just the craziness of this story. Like, like it, it doesn't make any sense that's like, okay, you know what's coming next after this story? The word of the Lord growing in power. No way. But this is what happens. The people of God, I mean, I mean, these people leave, they're intimidated, they should be scared, they're wounded. But once again, this is the overwhelming narrative of the Ark of Scripture. That what the enemy uses for good, God, that what the enemy uses for evil, God uses for good. Right? Something that's totally backwards, something that does not make any sense, and all of a sudden God flips it for good. It says that the Jews were seized with fear. They began to hold Jesus with high honor. And it says, many believed, and then they confessed what they did. Some practicing sorcery, and they all bring it together, and they just burn it. They've got their scrolls. They've got these things that they've been worshiping, loving, building their life around. And they're like, we, don't, we, can't, we can't even sell this. We just need to throw it in there. And they light it on fire. And, and you, didn't, you don't know the, the, the like, uh, unit of, of money there, but that's about similar to today's like $4 million. They just throw it in there. I mean, does anybody read the Bible and like, that makes no sense at all. Like there's some guys who are cast, they're trying to cast out demons and then it fails on them. And then all of a sudden he's like, we love, we want in, we're in, we're in with Jesus. I'm going to just drive my forerunner right into here and just light it on fire. Like that makes no sense. And in some ways revival, it doesn't make sense. It's kind of messy. <laughs> there are patterns without a doubt. There are ways and things that happen. But by and large, it does not make that much sense. It comes in ways that we do not expect or experience. It also shows us the way of revival in this way. Well, what's the way, you know? The way of repentance and confession. They confessed what they had done, and they brought their hearts before the Lord. Robert Reamer says, You will never rise above your level of self-awareness. The things we deny about ourselves are the very things that deny us from the fullness of God. 
And so just think about that just for a moment in, in, in your own life, in your own heart. Like, what parts of you are you most afraid to bring to God? Like, what are the secrets that you carry that no one knows? What are the parts of you that feel most natural to hide from others, to hide from God? And then to just think about the scandal of Jesus, that it's almost always right there that he wants to meet you. That's almost always by, by naming those things that removes the barrier from your own personal experience with God's love. And honestly, when you look at almost every revival in church history, it almost always starts with some form of decline. It starts with the culture kind of experiencing life without God and stuff just kind of starts to get crazy. It starts with people's own lives just feeling kind of like they're a mess. And most of the time it is God leading us to the end of ourselves so that we might see and savor and see our great desire and need for Jesus and his spirit. One of my favorite revival stories is uh, the revi- they call it the revival in the Hebrides. Anybody ever heard of the Hebrides? Yeah, if, only if you're into revivals have you ever heard of the Hebrides, okay? But in the 1950s, there's this crazy move of God that comes in the Hebrides, and it starts with two old ladies. Two old ladies who just see the decline happening. They see their, their children and their grandchildren far from God, and they're just like, yo, we're, we're, we're done talking about it. We're done complaining about it. We're done just whining about the next generation, and we're going to get on our knees, and we're going to come before God and ask that he would move. And faithfully, they just pray and pray and pray. And eventually, they get a couple younger folks in the room. And there's about 10 or 12 people in the room one night. And some young guy just stands up and he says, he says, you know, Psalm 24 says, Who shall ascend the hill of God? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul or sworn deceitfully. And he says, I am not clean. Lord, make me clean. And then he closes his Bible, and he looks down at the people, and I don't know if this is, they speak kind of some form of Gaelic there, so I don't know if this was like offensive there, but it feels like it here. He just says, it seems to me that it'd be much humbug to be praying as we are, waiting and waiting, if we ourselves are not right with God. And then the story goes, he just falls out into a trance. I'm just saying what happened, okay? So that makes, might make you feel uncomfortable. That's what happens. And then what happens in that barn where they're praying the power of God sweeping through, it comes through their entire community. Like, it is crazy stories when you read the, the, the stories. The, the, the main kind of pastor preacher who is, who is coming in and out of the meetings, he said one of the meetings he's driving to go preach at the church, and he just sees like three cars on his way with people on their knees, just like with their hands up, just giving their life to Jesus. And he's like, I don't even know what happened. I mean, could you imagine that really quick? Like, could you imagine just like driving to work to Scott Boulevard? There's just like people there. I'm like, what happened to you, bro? He's like, I don't know. I'm in. I'm in on Jesus. That makes it, we're like, that doesn't make any sense. I want to be practical. I want to give like, here, here's maybe some ways that we can win people. And we're all about that, the ordinary work. But we, this is why we want to be a praying church. Because <laughs> on your knees, you have access to the throne of God who actually has power, you know. And these old ladies, they caught a vision for prayer. They caught a vision of, their, their hearts were so moved, deeply troubled by their community. And what do they do? They're not, they, didn't, they didn't sit around, oh man, these young people, you know. As a young person, I'm starting to say that. I turned 30, and I'm like, ah, these teenagers. You know? Can we, re- can we relate? You know? You get me. No, they, dr- they go to prayer. They realize what they really need. And it comes through confession. 
I mean, you didn't think the revival sermon was going to end. Here's the closing, here's the closing application, confession, and repentance, you know? But that's how it goes. That's how the kingdom of God always goes. It's never how we seem, how we think it should seem, but it always comes upside down and backwards. Revival in Acts 19, the revival in the Hebrides, and so many other ones, they come through confession. They come through weakness. comes through weakness. One author said Paul's practical, personal theology can be summed up in this. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And so first, just the personal thing for us today, what gaps do you have in your own life? What things do you, do you feel in your own heart? The lack of expectation, the lack of faith, or just even hidden things that you've been wrestling with that no one knows anything about. And we as people, we need to know that that is the place. Isaiah 44 for I will pour my water on the thirsty ground, on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit out. Just think about that. Not like I'm going to pour it out on this solid ground that's really good, that's kind of ready to go, you know? Dry, thirsty. Those parts of our hearts are the way for renewal and revival. And it's His promise. It's not wishful thinking. It's not me trying to convince myself that God really probably likes us and he should probably do it. It's his promise. You're praying according to his promise. I will pour my water out on dry ground. You know what he wants to do in Columbia, in our community, in your own heart? He wants to pour his spirit out. It's what he wants to do. And much of prayer is just us getting aligned with his own heart and desire. That's what it means to pray according to the will of Jesus, to the desires of Jesus, to what he wants to do. Our hearts getting caught up with his. It's his promise. So I'm going to pray here in a moment, but I just have a couple invitations for us. And, and, and some of this I was just even sensing as I was praying this morning. Is I felt like I had this picture of um, just, just someone like, there, there was like a puddle of water, <laughs> and they kept going back to the puddle, and then back to life, and then back to the puddle, and back to, the, back to their life, and the water was just like draining out. And I just feel like there's a handful of us who, like, most of our life right now is, like, built on past experience that you've had with God, and you feel it, like, running out. And there's just this, there, there's so much more for you. And not to sense the shame or the guilt, but just to sense the invitation to come to Him. That the promise of Jesus is, is that we would have living waters that would flow through us. And so we're going to have some people in the back. And so that's one invitation for prayer. If you feel like you're just building your life on past experience and you want to open up your mind and your heart to what God might have for you next, that you might want to do a new thing, we're going to have some people in the back who would love to pray for you. And the other invitation I just want to have for you is if you just feel like hopeless this morning, I don't know why that word just feels like really heavy in my heart, but if you just feel like really hopeless, like if you just feel like maybe you've even been like partnering with that like, you, like, it kind of started with this kind of optimism that you had about life, but maybe something is just like, the enemy has just like sown some seeds of just like hopelessness in you that you just feel like, I got nothing. Just ride that hopelessness back to the back. We're going to have people back there just ready to pray for you. And the third invitation is just if you want more of the Spirit, if you've never had anybody pray that you would receive the Holy Spirit, go to the back. He loves to pour His Spirit out on us. Come with open hands and open hearts. Let's pray.
Lord, we just wait on your presence, even right now. You are, uh, you are what we need. So many of us have dry, we, we just feel that dry ground. And we ask even right now that you would pour your spirit out on us. Bring new hope to people. Invite people. As individuals, and then we also, Lord, ask that you would use our church, that you would bring renewal and revival here to Columbia. That you would refresh us with your love and that you would, you would miraculously save people, that you would deliver people, that, that, your, that your power would come here and now. So many of us, we have family members that we've just like given up on. We have coworkers that we could never see walking with you. Give us your heart, Lord, to see Columbia as a, as a people harassed and, and helpless without a shepherd. And so we pray, God, come. Make us a praying church. Give us hearts for revival. Give us bigger pictures of what you want us to do. Bigger things that you might want to do in and through us in our community. Amen. Amen.